important event in all of human history. There is nothing, nothing that can, nothing that has, nothing that ever will be more important than Jesus Christ raising from the dead. It is the most important single thing that has ever happened and will ever happen in the entire span of human history. It even outweighs his return. I'm excited. Come on, we're here to celebrate Easter. We're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus overcame for you. And what did he overcome? He overcame sin. He overcame death. And he overcame the grave. These are powers that we have no power over. And he came and he overcame for us. He came and fought the battle that we couldn't fight for ourselves. He came and paid the price with which we had nothing to pay. We all owed a debt, and he came and he paid it. He said, paid in full. I'll take that bill. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to talk to you about Easter. I want to talk to you about this wonderful, awesome event that happened. And I want to talk to you about the fact that love overcame. It's the love of Jesus that overcame. It's by his love that he overcame. We'll see that here as we go through the scriptures this morning. At the Last Supper on Thursday night, would have been Thursday night, Jesus is having this last meal with his disciples. And he says this, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Love one another. Here's here's what you have to do moving forward, guys. Love. Love one another. And he didn't just leave it there hanging for us to figure out what love looked like. He qualified it and he said, love one another the same way that I'm loving you. What I've been showing you for the past three and a half years, guys, love people like that. And then he added this next scripture. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Because Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew what the Father was asking him to do. He knew that in less than 24 hours, his body would no longer hold breath in its lungs. No longer would blood course through his veins. His life was ending. He was giving his life as a substitute offering for you and for me. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. He's foreshadowing and he's also encouraging his disciples to live the way that I lived and to die the way that I died. Jesus, after the Last Supper, goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, takes his disciples with him, all except for Judas who went to to betray him. And so the 11 disciples come with him. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's used to going there to pray in the evenings. This is his regular habit. And so it says that he left the disciples, and he took Peter, James, and John, and he went on a little further. And then he left them there, and Scripture says he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. And so we find Jesus in this last moment, his last moments before going to the cross, and he's in this moment of prayer. And he prays this prayer. Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We have to understand, Jesus is not double-minded here. He's not second-guessing his decision to come and 
put his life on the line for humanity. That's not what it's about. He understands. He is seeing what is going to happen to him in the natural. He's seeing it in the spiritual. He knows that he will be tortured. He knows that he will be crucified. He knows that he will take the sin of the world upon his, himself and suffer separation from the Father. He knows these things. He sees them coming. And he says to God, God, if there's any other way, let's do it. But if not, I'm good to go. And it says, the very next scripture, it says, and an angel, and an angel appeared to Jesus from heaven, strengthening him, and him being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is praying. He prays this prayer, God, I don't know if I can do this, but if you want me to do it, I know I can because you always supply grace for me to do whatever you're calling me to do. And in that moment, God sends an angel to strengthen him so that he could pray better. When was the last time we had a prayer meeting and the angel came to strengthen us so that we could pray better? That's a prayer meeting. After an hour, after an hour of Jesus being in prayer, he gets up, goes to his disciples, and they're asleep. He says, hey, couldn't you guys watch just one hour? It's been one hour. And he wakes them up. He says, your hearts are filled with sorrow. The sorrow has caused them to want to sleep. He says, but don't be distracted. Don't be distracted in this hour. Stay alert. Stay watchful. Keep praying. He goes back. He prays again. Another hour, he comes back. They're sleeping again. He doesn't bother waking them up this time. He goes back and he prays again. After three hours of prayer, after three hours of intercession... Jesus praying with the strengthening of an angel. An angel came, God himself, God in the flesh. Guys, grab a hold of this for one second. I pray all the time. I love my prayer life. It's super. It's fantastic. You know, uh, powerful prayer is not powerful prayer. prayer. Uh, no one could pray. I wouldn't say that anyone here could pray as strong as Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and he had to have an angel come and strengthen him so that he could pray better. Wow. What a prayer meeting. Three hours in this prayer meeting. Son of God praying with the strengthening of an angel. Come on. The, Judas shows up with a detachment of soldiers. And as they approach, John's gospel tells us, Jesus says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus speaks, and he says, I am he. And the power of that three-hour prayer movement, that power of that three-hour prayer meeting of Jesus, it breaks out, and all the soldiers fall to the ground under the power of God. Because he's just been in this place of prayer. See, before he ever went to the cross, he won the victory, he won the battle in prayer before he ever took one step in the natural. Guys, what are you facing what are we facing in our life? If we're called to live the way that Jesus lived and love the way that Jesus loved, that, then when we face a trial, when we face a circumstance, our most important thing to do is to pray. We win the battle in prayer before we ever set one foot on the battlefield, so to speak. We win it in prayer. Jesus 
beat the devil on the cross in prayer before they ever put one lash on his back, before they ever put one nail in his hand, before they ever put the spear in his side, or before he ever hung on that cross. He won it in prayer. And we don't want to come out for an hour on Thursday night. Come out for prayer on Thursday night. Win that battle. Come on, there's cities to be won for Jesus. There's souls to be won for Jesus. We do it through prayer. The soldiers show up. Peter gets all excited. He pulls out his sword. He swings it. And Jesus says, no. Jesus said to him, put away your sword. For all who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then he says this. He says, or do you not think that I could not now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. We have to understand the significance of what he's saying here. A Roman legion, he lived in Roman times, a Roman legion was between three and 6,000 soldiers. If we go with the low number, 3,000, 12 legions, that's 36,000 angels. Jesus said, do you not think that I could call out at once and God would send 36,000 angels, dispatch them to me, to whatever I need right now. Jesus knew that he could. What does that mean? We know from 1 Kings that one angel in one night slew 185,000 men. One angel, one night, 185,000 soldiers. 36,000 angels, 185,000 men. That's 6.6 billion people. What would happen if Jesus cried out and said, God, I'm not going to do this? All of humanity wiped from the planet. It's possible today. 185,000 soldiers in one night. 36,000 angels. Do the math. We exist because God loves us. He is patient with us. He sees our need. He sees our depravity. It's the love of Jesus that caused him to go through with this. He had the ability to call out these angels and said, I'm out of here. You know, you guys are being ridiculous. I'm out of here. How careful he had to be with his words, with every lash, with every nail, with every breath upon the cross as he's in pain. He had to not call out and say, God, I can't do this. He had to restrain himself for love. They come, they arrest Jesus in the garden. They take him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and they have this. This is the middle of the night now. Thursday evening, he had the Last Supper with his disciples. This is in the middle of the night now. They bring him to Caiaphas, and they have false witnesses after false witnesses after false witnesses. He's, he's in this kangaroo court. He's in this court that, that has uh, little little authority, has a little authority, but there's no justice here. It's not a court to get justice. And so the high priest, they find him guilty of, of proclaiming that he is the son of God, and he is. And so th they don't like it. They, they, it, says in the, it says in the word that the high priest turned him over to Pilate to, that, he would, that they might crucify him because of envy. The high priests are envious of Jesus envious of the fact that people are actually starting to follow him. They never take into account that this could actually be the Messiah. 
this could actually be the Son of God. They're just jealous. And so after they have their little ridiculous trial, they bring him to Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to really deal with it. Pilate tries to send him over to Herod. Jesus will answer Herod nothing. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate brings him out before the people and says, what do you want me to do? I find, I, I, I find this man to be completely innocent. And they shout out all the more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate has him whipped, beaten, scourged, hoping to satisfy them by beating him senseless, beating him to a pulp with every lash, tearing flesh off of his body as he's being beaten. The Bible tells us that his stripes, the stripes that he received in the scourging, the stripes upon his body were for the healing of the nations. We are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We're healed by that scourging that he took. Pilate brings him back out and he says, listen, here he is. What do you want me to do? I'm going to release one prisoner to, to you today. Do you want me to release Barabbas, this man who's a criminal, he's a murderer, or do you want me to release Jesus? And they all cry out. The high priest stirs up the crowd and says, we want Barabbas. We want the murderer. Re release to us the rebel. How could this happen? So Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, and he put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the, uh, the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others, two criminals, one on either side, and Jesus in the center, that it might be fulfilled in the Scriptures. Now, it was about the third hour when they crucified him. Watch what happens here, guys. He has dinner, the Last Supper Thursday night. Through the night that he's arrested, he's brought to Caiaphas, he's brought to Pilate, shifted to Herod, back to Caiaphas. He's beaten, he's whipped. And by 9 o'clock in the morning, by 9 o'clock Friday morning, they're putting nails in his hands and they're hanging him on a cross. The swift injustice of the day. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And the Jews were unhappy with this writing. The Jews were unhappy that Pilate wrote this, and they asked him to change it, and they asked him to, 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 to put up there, say, no, they, they said, no, put up there that he said that he was the king of the Jews. And what is Pilate's response? Pilate says, I have written what I have written. Prophetic proclamation, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. As Pilate is trying to reason with the Pharisees, before uh, Jesus goes out to the cross, Pilate says, I wash my hands of this man's blood. And what, does the, what did the Pharisees respond? They said, his blood be on us and on our children. God help them. The blood of Jesus, the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Savior. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ King of the world, king of kings. Jesus said to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight for me, 
but now my kingdom is not from here. And so because Jesus was receiving a kingdom that didn't look like any other kingdom, his coronation looked like a coronation that no coronation had ever looked like before. Rather than wearing a gold crown, he received a crown of thorns. Rather than receiving a, a golden chair to sit on, he was hung on a cross. And he took the kingdom of God. He took the rightful place as king of kings over the kingdom of heaven, over the kingdom of God to this day. As Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Even as Jesus is going through this torturous death, they whipped him with a, a whip called Cat of Nine Tails 39 times, each whip removing flesh from his body, his back completely scarred and possibly the front as well. He's hanging on the cross. And if you just stand here for a few minutes, you'll realize that you'll have trouble breathing, holding your arms like this. And he hung there for hours. Every pain. He had to push himself up to take a breath, scraping his raw back against the post. Every breath, painful. Every breath, he had to restrain from calling out on God and saying, God, send him, I can't do it. Every breath. Hebrews tells us, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, as he was on the cross, he had a vision of what was up ahead. He had this joy that was set before him. He had this joy that he kept looking at as he hung on the cross. He kept his eyes fixed on the finish line. He knew what it was about to bring. There was joy in the victory, and the joy was you. The joy is you. He saw you. He saw you. It was you he had his eyes fixed on. You are the joy that he was hoping to win when he hung on that cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As he's suffering this terrible suffering, he's still only concerned about those who have done him wrong. He still wants to bless and love his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The Bible tells us from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. That's from noon until three. There was darkness over the whole land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it's in this moment that the full weight of the sin of all humanity is poured out on Jesus. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To pay the price for sin. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To pay the price for sin for you and for me. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. Jesus went there to the cross. He who knew no sin, we'll read this scripture later, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. At the cross, the mercy of God is on display because Jesus is taking our place. And yet at the same time, 
that the mercy of God is on display because Jesus is taking the place that you deserve. The justice of God is being dealt out because God must be found just. And someone has to suffer the consequences of sin. And who suffered it? Jesus. Jesus suffered the consequences of sin for you, and he suffered the consequences of sin for me and for all who will call upon his name. Separation from God. He'd never known separation from God. Eternally dateless in the past, he had had fellowship with God, and now he can't feel him. He, now he can't sense him. Now he doesn't know where he is. It's not that God left. It's just that the sin in Jesus' life caused him to not be able to sense that God was there. John 19, 30 says, So when Jesus had received the soured wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus says, It is finished. What was finished? It wasn't all finished. He still had to go to hell. He still had to take the keys of hell and death and the grave. He still had to rise from the dead. He still had to ascend to the Father. He still had to be seated at the right hand of God. There were still some things needed to be done. What was finished? The sacrificial system was done. It was finished. It was over. He was the perfect, he was the perfect offering. He was the perfect lamb. He was he who lived a sinless, spotless life. He came and took your place. And where the blood of and where the blood of lambs and goats covered sin, the blood of Jesus Christ washes it away. Our, our sins are no longer covered by the blood. They're washed away by the blood. Glory to God. It is finished. The sacrificial system that was instituted by, Moses, by God and Moses, it's over. It's finished. We don't need that anymore. No more blood needs to be poured out. Jesus was the perfect offering. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. There doesn't need to ever be another. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Why do we jump? Why do we worship? Why do we carry on so? Because of what Jesus has done. It's because of him. Jesus cries out, is finished. He breathes his last. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks split, graves were opened, and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Jesus breathes his last breath. And what happens? Cataclysmic, supernatural events. The earth shakes. Veil of the temple. The veil of the temple was, was a cloth, and it was as thick as your hand. It was that thick. They said it would have taken 10,000 mules pulling in opposite directions to rip that thing in half. It was Jesus breathed his last. It ripped in half. The presence of God was behind the veil. It's now with men. Jesus changed the picture. He changed the operating system. There's an upgrade. Earthquake, rock split, dead rise out of the ground. Come on. Something amazing had gone on. And the centurion, so when the centurion, those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly. And they said, truly this was the Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. This really was the Messiah. What did we do? What did we do? How could this happen? How did we get to this point? How did the mob mentality bring us here? How did this happen? It was Jesus. 
Jesus' love took him to the cross. My sin sent him there, but his love took him there. Jesus said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I willingly lay it down. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it that we would have fellowship with God, that he knew that that veil would be torn. He knew that that presence of God that was only hidden behind the veil, that it would come and it would be available to us to carry around in our hearts for all of the rest of, our, all of, the, rest of the age that we live. Come on, to this day, we carry God with us right now. Hallelujah. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary and the other Mary came to the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I like to go out in a thunderstorm, and I like to go outside, and I like to look at the lightning. I like to watch it. I think it's fun. We've had close lightning strikes. The power pole right across the street, about 350 feet away, has been hit by lightning. Well, let me tell you something. As much as I was out there looking for and waiting for the lightning, when it struck the pole, I was... (laughs) Holy cow. I just wasn't ready for it. As much as I was looking for it, I wasn't ready for it. The lightning's bright, guys. You can't even keep your eyes open. The angel... His countenance was like lightning. And these men, these soldiers, these trained men of war fall down dead as in fe- from fear. The Old, Te- the Old Testament tells us that angels are very fearful to look at. Nine to 12 feet tall, often carrying uh, swords or other war implements, wings, on and on. To, to view one is to die. You could literally die. Repeatedly throughout Old Testament scripture, we see when angels appeared to men that they fell down as dead. They literally passed out from fear. In the very next verse, watch. These soldiers fall down dead. Very next verse. But the angel answered and said to the women. The angel comes. He's terrifying. The guards, the soldiers, they pass out. But he says to the women, the women, don't be afraid. <laughs> They're scared stiff, guys, but don't you be afraid. Isn't this glorious? Look, at, here it is. It's Sunday morning. On the first day of the week, Sunday morning, the women went out. The, where are the men? <laughs> guys. Oh, man. Don't tell me you stayed home to watch football. <laughs> don't tell me. Oh. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus Christ who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he has said. He is not here, for he is risen as he has said. He is not here, for he is risen as he has said. The open tomb, come on. The empty tomb, come on. You know, the cross really wasn't a thing about Christianity until the mid-1700s. It only became popular to have a cross in your church or wear one around your neck around 1700. That's when it first became a thing. You know what? We should throw away the cross. We should get rid of it. We should all carry around an empty tomb. We should wear an empty tomb on our chest because it's, if Jesus just died on a cross, lots of people died on crosses. 
That's not the glorious part of the story. The glorious part of the story is right here. The glorious part of the story is right here. He didn't stay dead. Death could not hold him down. It couldn't stop him. Death cannot stop love. Solomon, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon tells us that love is as strong as the, as the grave, a jealousy as cruel. Come on. Love has strength. Love has power. Love overcomes. Jesus overcame by love. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said he would. Just as he said he would. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. He did it. He did it. He said it, and it came to pass. Glory to God. Come see, come quickly. Come see the place where the Lord lay, where he was laid. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will, be, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you, the angel says. Come and see. Look, check it out. Look in this grave. Look, see, look, there's the clothing. There's the grave wraps that he had on him. It's empty. He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen, just like he said he was going to do. Just like he told us he was going to do. It's all true. It's all true. Now go, tell his disciples. So what happened? What happened? Why did all of this happen? I quoted this before. We're going to read it again. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the glorious victory of the cross. This is why we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Feast of First Fruits, whatever you want to call it. This is why we celebrate this day, because God made Christ, God made Jesus, who was without sin, who had never sinned, the offering for sin, so that we could be made right with God. On the cross, on the cross, we see both the mercy and the justice of God, hand in hand at the same time. We see the mercy of God because Jesus, in his infinite mercy, took the place of suffering that you and I deserved. Guys, we've all sinned. Everyone has, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person on the planet, six billion, all six billion have sinned. Everyone sinned. Everyone has sinned. The Bible also tells us that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. If you sin, which we all have, uh, what we deserve is to go to hell. No one has anything with which to be able to pay the price of sin. The price of, pay, the price of sin has to be accounted for. The Old Testament, the animal sacrifices covered over our sin. And in the Old Testament, the righteous dead in Christ went to a non-tortured compartment of hell called Abraham's bosom. That's all changed. It's the blood of Jesus. It's a new and, and better covenant. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. It washes away. It washes away. Someone had to pay the price for sin because God had to be found just. He can't just let 
the sin go. He can't just forget about it. Someone's got to pay the price. Jesus stepped in and said, I'll pay the price. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. Jesus said, I'll lay down my life. I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price that no one else can pay. I'll take that sin. I'll take your sin. Jesus said, I'll take your sin. What have you done wrong? I'll take that, Jesus said. Where have you sinned? I'll take that, Jesus said. I'll take that. I'll pay the price for that. What is it that you've done? I'll pay the price for that, Jesus said. He's redeemed us to God. He's bought us back. He bought us. He bought us with the price. He bought us with his own blood. He poured out his own blood unto death. Jesus. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. It's a paid in full. There's nothing left over for us to pay. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's not of good works that men are saved. It's of the grace of God. We are saved by God's grace. We are saved by his mercy. We are saved by what he has done. Why did he do it? He did it for you. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for love. He did it because he loves you. He loves you. He did it because he loves you. He loves you. If it was just you, if it was just you, he still would have gone to the cross. If he only won one, he still would have gone. Love overcame. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do we enter in? How do we say yes to Jesus? How do we get this forgiveness of sin that Jesus Christ paid for us? By confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. This is it. This is it right here. This is how we thank Jesus for paying the price for our sin. We confess with our mouth. We say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin. He paid the price for me. We believe it in our heart, and we are saved. If, if that's you, if you've never made that uh, declaration before, if you've never made that decision to believe in Jesus before, I want to invite you to do that today. There is no better time to invite Jesus into your heart than right now. Right now, is, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. You're here for a reason. Someone invited you here for a reason. It's so that you could find Christ. It's so that you could follow him. If you're watching with us online, you didn't click on this website. You didn't click on this Facebook video by accident. You're here because Jesus wants you to follow him wholeheartedly. If you want to make that decision today to follow Christ, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, and that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the glorious news on top of the glorious news that Jesus forgives us of our sin, is that he also gives us grace to live the life that he's called us to live. After we're saved, now he gives us grace so that we can live according to what he's commanded us to. We don't even have to do that on our own. It's awesome. If you're here today and uh, you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to take out your engage card. And on the back of that engage card, it says, Today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. I'm going to ask you to check that box on that card if you prayed that prayer for the first time today. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to check that box because what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you some information that explains the decision that you've made and what your next steps are. So check that box. If you're watching with us online, you can check that box on your online Engage card. If you can't get to the online Engage card, email me at info at redeeminglovechurch.org. Let me know that you prayed that prayer. Send me your address. I'll send you the same information. We're going to get ready to take communion. And what a glorious day for us to do that. Easter Sunday, we're going to take communion together. So if you have your uh, little cup, you can just prepare and get that open as we continue to, to move here.